0: This is Messages from the Middle. I'm Wendy Parrish. This is episode number 24, I am a rock, lessons on isolation and loneliness. Have you noticed that people don't usually share their struggles until they're over? It's not until they've defeated their dragon and marched victoriously home that they share their story. Well, I'm not one of those people. My name is Wendy Parrish and I am in the middle of my story. From the middle, I've learned a few things, and I would like to bring you into my story. This is the good, the struggle, the light, the dark, and the lessons learned. This is Messages from the Middle. Hello, and welcome to the episode. I'm so happy that you're here with me today just a couple of things before I start the episode. Uh, September is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month, and I think it's worth mentioning and doing what you can to learn a little bit more about suicidal ideation and suicide prevention. I recorded an episode. It's episode number eight, and it's called Your Story Isn't Finished. In that episode, I offer information about suicidal ideation that especially if it's not something you know anything about or understand is worth learning a little bit about. Things that if you've never been there or you don't know somebody who's been there, we would not understand. Things not to say to people that are struggling with suicidal ideation and also things not to say to people who have had somebody close to them who have taken their own life. Throughout the month of September on my social media at Child Songbird, I'll be posting some things about suicide awareness and suicidal ideation. And I just would love to see you there and and have some have a conversation about that. And then one last thing before I get going, I could use your help. I would really love if you could swing on by Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave a rating and review, or if you could share this episode or any of the episodes that you have listened to that have had, that you've taken some value from and learned something from, if you could share that on social or share it with a friend, just to say, hey, I listened to this, it made me think of you, or I thought maybe this had some information that could be helpful. I want to get, the word out on mental health to as many people as possible and let people know that it is you're not alone you are not the only one in the middle of your story and really we're all in the middle of something working through it and figuring it out and that's one thing that i have taken from the interviews that i've been doing um, for some of my past podcasts and going going into the future everyone has a story everyone's in the middle of their story and it's just been incredible to learn from other people. An interesting thing has been happening since I started this podcast, and that is the topic for my next the next episode tends to just show up in my life, either thoughts that just rattle around in my head over and over again or in things that I hear from either something i've seen on television or i'm reading in a book or i just hear gets brought up either a lot on social media or something like that and it always surprises me how this thing that comes up also is something that i need to work through and i need to spend a little time reading about studying about paying attention to how it is affecting me and my mental health And so I hope that as I share what I'm learning and what I'm going through or what I have learned through this process can offer some help and value or even just comfort in knowing that you're not alone. This week's episode is about isolation and loneliness. I have mentioned many times that isolation is my drug of choice, meaning a lot of times when people are suffering from mental illness, anxiety, whatever, they will find a way to not feel that feeling. In many cases, that is a substance. In a lot of cases, that is a substance or video games or porn or just a lot of different things. And nobody really thinks about isolation. Um, But that's mine. It's isolation. And I think it goes hand in hand. I think when you think about the person that is struggling with some mental health and so they just watch Netflix all the time, that is isolation. Or they're just always reading books alone. That can be seen as isolation. Now, I'm not saying that your bookworm friend is suffering from, you know, a mental illness. But maybe that person that if they're like, you know, don't really show up and they're always alone and reading... That might be worth maybe check on that friend maybe check on the friend that's on like the 10th rewatch of the office and they don't really go out or do anything that was what my isolation looked like my isolation was not it started out as just isolating from the outside i thought i have my family i've got my little life in my home and i'm fine here but Before I went into treatment, I was isolating from my family, even. I was just pretty much staying in my office full-time. I have a bed in here, and um, I actually put the bed up when I got COVID at the beginning of 2022, and it never came down. I just stayed in here, um, brought a TV in, read books. I read through the Harry Potter series for the fourth time. I believe it was the fourth time, and just stayed alone and thought that by doing that, I was doing myself a service, but I wasn't. So I've heard all the studies and the statistics that isolation and loneliness are the health equivalent, are you ready for this, of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And also isolation and loneliness is known to shorten your lifespan. Isn't that great? So I've heard this and I get it, it's not good but what exactly are you supposed to do about loneliness? I get that isolation for me was a choice, but loneliness was not. After moving seven years ago, I just never really found my community. I never really found a connection to anyone and to any place or community like I have every other place that I've lived. And I'm not alone. Over 50% of Americans say that they feel disconnected from the people around them and they don't feel authentically connected to their community. My therapist in treatment went on and on about how I needed to stop isolating. And I was like, all right, that's great. So tell me how, to, how do I make friends and how do I create community and connections? And his suggestion was, call people and invite them out to lunch. I am so proud of myself for not laughing in his face. I'd say about 2 years after I moved here, I was the loneliest I'd ever been in my life. I've always been very big on bloom where you're planted, and I believed that you take action to fix things in your life. If you're feeling left out, then you create the social environment that you want. And That's usually always worked for me, but it hadn't been here. So I came up with this great idea. I was going to, first of all, host things at my house, have girls' nights at my house. And I was going to invite someone to lunch at least once a month. Find somebody that I was interested in getting to know and connecting with and invite them to lunch at the end of that year. I set those goals I was lonelier than ever those monthly lunches only proved what I had begun to suspect that there was something fundamentally wrong with me people just don't want to be my friend they just don't like me and I am incapable of connection so okay it's not over I can still fix this I remember listening to a podcast where this presenter was talking about FOMO and she said If you are experiencing FOMO, look at that situation that you feel like you're missing out on. What is it in that circumstance that you are missing and bring that into your life? And at this time, I was feeling a huge, like gargantuan FOMO from this place where my sister, my sister-in-law two of my very, very best friends and my parents live. It's this beautiful mountain town, just this gorgeous mountain town. And it also appeared that all the women around my age, they were all just besties. They all worked out together, went hiking together. They went to the river and did cold plunges together. They were doing couples yoga and they were doing yoga and they made wreaths and they, I don't know, on and on. It just looked like, This was this mother's middle aged, whatever, women's utopia. And I was missing out. This place literally looked unreal. I even asked my sister about it. I was like, So you guys just make this look better on social media than it actually is, right? It's not actually that magical. And she was like, Actually, no, it's pretty great. So, with no option to move to this magical place, I thought, Okay. I can do this. I can create this where I live. After all, I do live in the mountains. So I found a yoga studio to start going to. And I planned and hosted girls nights. And I even planned a weekend getaway to our cabin at a lake nearby. And I found community events to go to to try and find and connect to new and different people than usual places where I met people. I did everything I knew to do. And once again, I came up feeling empty. I came up feeling worse than I had before, because before I could say, well, I don't really have any community connections. I don't really feel connected to the community. I don't really feel like I've got my people, but you know, I haven't really tried. And now I could say, I've tried and nothing came out of this. And the spiral went a little something like this. So then no one likes me. And there's for sure something wrong with me. And I bet even if I lived in that magical mountain town with my sister, I would be the one woman who was not included in any of these things. But then the shame spiral didn't feel right. So then when we're in shame, we like to just shift into blame. So then I realized, no, the problem isn't with me. The problem is here. The problem's with the people here. They're elitist. They're intentionally cutting certain people out. They don't like me. They don't like my kids. They're selfish and judgmental. But guess what? For me, blame always feels worse. And so then I shift it back onto me. I'm the problem. It's me. There's a core memory from my adult life that I go back to when I'm looking for proof that I am unlovable and unlikable. I was in the thick of the infertility for my third baby, so I was already pretty super fragile. I'd asked this woman from my neighborhood to watch my boys one early morning so I could go to a doctor's appointment. After the appointment, I went to pick up my boys, and there was a group of women and all their kids there at the house eating brunch. And the girl that watched my kids told me that they were celebrating one of the ladies' birthdays. The kitchen was filled with food and people, and I said, oh, that's so great. Happy birthday, Amy. To which I was given my two little boys and told to have a great day. I was not invited to be part of this celebration. Up until that moment, I had thought that these women were my friends. I had thought that no one was getting together because we were all super busy with our little kids in our life. It was in that moment that I realized, no, they were actually all friends and they'd all been getting together. I was just not part of this group. Suddenly, a 30-year-old woman became an eight-year-old little girl on the playground all alone. And it's true. When we feel left out as adults, we do revert back to that little person that we are. It's science, I swear. I have no need of friendship because friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. It starts there. So let me interject here. I do actually have need of friendship. And I have had the most amazing friends. I have the most amazing friends. I have felt deep connections to people and my community. I have had friends like family. I had three women who stayed with me all night when I gave birth to my first son while my husband was gone for Air Force training. I've had Friendsgivings that felt every bit like a family Thanksgiving. I've had people that I can go years without talking to and then talk to them and it feels like no time has passed at all. I have people who fill my cup and make me laugh until I can't breathe. I have love and connection in my life and I would be the most ungrateful schmuck on the planet if I didn't acknowledge how blessed I am and how blessed I have been. If I had more time, I would just list the amazing, wonderful people in my life and how grateful I am. The real problem right now is that they don't live where I live. And while technology is amazing and has literally saved me, we do need face-to-face, in-person connection. One more thing I want to add, and this is from a coaching perspective. Feeling isolated and left out are feelings that are created by our thoughts. So... I could look at all the times I've been included and I've felt like I've been part of the social life and I could change the narrative. Reframing and challenging the thoughts are always available to me and I can do it at any time. And I will spend time doing that, especially if I'm feeling really low. However, it's also worth noting that if you are really feeling an emotion that is really causing a problem, You are allowed to feel that emotion, to take some time and notice that emotion, and let it tell you what it needs to tell you. Also, I want to point out that loneliness, while an emotion, is also, scientifically speaking, seriously, scientifically speaking, physically painful. Under fMRI, a slap and a social rejection show up in the same parts of the brain. The feeling of loneliness serves the same function as hunger and thirst. It exists to warn you that you need social connection or you literally might die. This is based on our anthropological need for community and human connection for survival. So while loneliness is widely considered an emotion, it is also a sensation in the body. This is a really important distinction. A lot of times when we ask people, when we're coaching them, what are you feeling? And they say, hungry. That is, you know, go get yourself a snack. We're talking emotions. And when loneliness is in the same category as hunger and thirst, there is a different way of approaching loneliness Than approaching other emotions such as frustration, anger, sadness, disappointment. I think it's so interesting that I'm like big on like having a big nice emotional vocabulary and whenever I need to list emotions in my podcast, I can't think of (laughs) my big emotional vocabulary goes away. Okay, moving on. So with my mental health state being what it's been, especially when my depression and anxiety are, I will say, in a flare-up. And also, having ADHD, which has this really cool symptom called rejection sensitivity dysphoria, I did not make that up. It's a real thing, and this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. 100% of people with ADHD have rejection sensitivity dysphoria. There are almost no symptoms that 100% of people have, but when I read studies on this, it said 100%. I think it said almost 100%, but still that blew my mind. This basically means that because of the dopamine issues that people with ADHD have, the way that they feel and process rejection is so much deeper than a person without ADHD. Hopefully that makes sense. I actually try not to get too science-y because that's not my jam and I would rather hear things like, tell it to me like I'm a six-year-old. Anyway, so combined with all these super awesome coping mechanisms that I had created from having undiagnosed ADHD, I have always felt outside, other, and different. I was never and have never been cool enough or smart enough for my friends, or even my family of origin. New and different social situations are terrifying for me, and they create one of two reactions. I will either hide out, stay quiet, and just keep to myself. I am actually quite shy. Nobody seems to believe that because the other way that I will show up when I try not to be shy is I'll talk too much and I hate that one. So if I am talking, I feel like I'm talking too much and I'm oversharing and I am the whole time just shaming myself for talking too much, but also if I'm quiet and reserved, I don't come across as the quiet, mysterious one. I get perceived as a snob. So it feels like I can't win. And I want to say this perception is from my own thoughts. No one's actually walked up to me and been, you know what? You're super shy. I did have somebody tell me that I talk too much and that I need to just try really, really hard to not talk. And this person was not my mother. This person was actually somebody that I have worked with and it was horrifying and I'm still horrified by it to this day. So last year when things got really, really dark, instead of reaching out to people and friends and looking for connection, I isolated. I even isolated from my very best friends, from the people who have always been there for me. Marco Polo has been my lifeline these last couple of years. And I have had a few Marco Polo groups going with some of my very best friends and I would not respond I would listen and then I would not respond because my thought process was they don't want to hear from me no one wants to hear from me I love them and if I start speaking to them they will not love me that's an example of one thought that I had but I just isolated and I thought I have my husband and I have my dogs and I have music and books and TV and I'll be fine without people, I don't need them. I turned down any social invitation or I would say yes and really intend to go, but when it actually came to going, I just couldn't do it. And like I said before, I started out just isolating from the outside world. And then I started isolating, even from my family. This felt like a solution to the problem. After all, a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. I don't think it was ever a conscious thought or a decision, but I know that a big part of my social isolation can also be found in that same famous Simon and Garfunkel song. If I had never loved, I never would have cried. I didn't want to cry anymore. I didn't want to hurt anymore and people hurt me. So if I stay away from people, I will not feel pain anymore. I thought this was a solution. It was actually adding to the problem. Biologically speaking, we are wired for connection to be part of a tribe and a community, we need people. Our ancient ancestors needed to be together for safety and for food. Everyone had to work together and serve a purpose in the group. The older people watched and educated the children. They literally had a village help raise a child and the village gathered together to tell stories and to dance, to create music and to entertain each other. We are also the only species that wants to share ideas, even when there's no immediate gain. It's a way to communicate and get on the same page. I have felt this firsthand in my life since starting this podcast, just sharing my story and what I've learned and what I'm learning is this intellectual and energetic exchange that I have been missing from my life for years. As technology has advanced, there's been less need for each other for physical survival. We don't need each other as much to physically live. As long as I've been a mom, I have not lived near family. I read books on parenting. I Googled questions, called doctors, took to social media. And when the time was right, sent my kids to school for their education and maybe talked to some other moms, asked some questions, but pretty much was thinking I am doing this by myself and I was super proud of myself until a few years ago, when I realized that this alone thing was not working. I saw how families that had family members nearby had close connections, how those kids felt a sense of who they were and a connection to people and even to their own culture and their identity. They felt a closer connection to their own identity. As a family, we were untethered. We were without roots. We were just out on our own. I noticed that most stable families that were away from their family, created family from friendships and neighbors. And I didn't do that. In fact, I don't really even have neighbors. I literally put myself on an island and tried to do this on my own. But we need a village and we need a community. We need family, whatever you want to call it. Isolation and loneliness are not a badge of honor. We need food. We need water, and we need connection. So we know that we are more disconnected and isolated than ever in the history of the world. And the events of COVID-19 pandemic did not do one thing to help with this, which leads me to ask, what on earth are we supposed to do about that? And I'm literally asking, like, DM me, let me know. I would love to hear anyone's answers on what we are supposed to do to create more connection. I have to believe that the answer has got to be something better than inviting people to lunch, which by the way is fine. I think that's great. I love my lunch dates with ladies. I think they're super fun and I love talking to people, but I'm not looking for just lunch friends. I'm looking for what my awesome friend Jana calls couch friends. I want that friend who will come over to my house and sit on my couch and just hang out The friend that I can talk to about anything and nothing. The person whose kids I'll pick up from school and she can do the same for me. The person that's there for the big things, but just as much the small things. These are the people that I'm missing from my life right now. When you start feeling lonely and disconnected, one of the first things to happen is you do start to question yourself, your sense of self purpose, where you belong in this world. And if you really matter. This leads to self-doubt and the slippery slope that can take place from there. Because I've never really felt like I belonged anywhere and that no one knew the true me, including myself, I thought I was unlovable and I didn't matter. I'm pretty sure that there's more than just me who can relate to that. Once again, we need to start our journey of connection and belonging with us. That's right. Once again, the answer is self-love. Dang it. I I mean, yay. (laughs) This means there's work to do and it's our work to do. I have a few phrases that I say all the time to myself and I'm sure they're good ones to look at and maybe deconstruct and ask myself, is this really true? So we'll start with my favorite. I am invisible. When I say that, I'm saying no one sees me. I don't matter. But I'm also screaming, please see me. I want to matter. So let's poke some holes in that statement and coach through it. So here we go. The first question is an obvious one. Am I invisible? Is that true? No. In fact, one of the most hurtful things I do when I make that statement is I disregard the people who do see me. My kids see me. My husband sees me. My family and my friends see me. You, you people who take the time to listen to this podcast, you at least hear me. And I matter. And I can actually see evidence of this one from the words spoken to me and written to me when I talked about my suicidal ideation in my episode, Your Story Isn't Finished. Last summer, when I opened about up opened up about what I was going through to my best friends. The messages that I got back from my friends and the tears shed showed me that I did fill a space and I mattered to some really amazing people. I also believe that me focusing on the people who don't see me instead of those who do is what keeps me invisible. Being grateful for where I do belong Who I am and who matter to me is one way out of isolation, self-loathing, and connection to ourselves and others by working from the inside out. I have to believe that one of the reasons why my attempts at connection and belonging years ago didn't work was because I was not operating as an authentic version of me because I didn't know who I was and I had no love for Wendy. If I don't believe I'm lovable... How can I expect anyone else to see that? Thought number two is that I'm not lovable. Is this true? And again, I know people that love me. And truthfully, sometimes I think that something is wrong with them for loving me. But despite my distorted thinking, I am loved. So am I unlovable? No. Are you unlovable? That's a huge no. And here's how i know this we are all inherently lovable it is literally our birthright i've already discussed my faith and my beliefs and i believe that there is a law of love and that is that our heavenly parents love us just because they do and a love that we cannot even begin to comprehend i'll never forget when I had my first baby, the second that child is born, the love that just overwhelmingly feels your body, a love you can't describe and that you had no idea existed. And all this little person did was breathe. And the love that our heavenly parents have for us is so much bigger than that. We don't have words or even context for it. And no matter what we do, We don't have to earn their love, and there's nothing we can do to lose their love. We are just loved. On a human level, let's go back to babies. All babies are lovable, right? All children are lovable, right? Guess what? We are those babies. We are those children. This doesn't mean that people don't do terrible things and do things that really cause some pretty icky, negative feelings towards them that they probably deserve. But at their core, at their spirit level, even those people are capable of redemption and are lovable, which was all a long way for me to say, yes, I am lovable and you are lovable. So we need to start with self-love. From there, finding connection spreads to others. And I hate to say this because I really want so much of this hard stuff to come down to making a wish or just thinking a thought and it will happen. But we are meant to do the work in this life. So what's the work? Well, I'm still working on it, but here are some tips and some things that I've noticed that have helped. First of all, I wanna point out that my episode number 14 is called, What is Love? Where I talk a lot about finding self-love and writing a self-love manifesto. And if you haven't already listened to that, I recommend going back and listening to that because I go a lot deeper into finding love for yourself. So again, it all starts with self-love. The next tip I have is to not go into every social situation, assuming that no one likes you, you know, remember all the stuff I said before. Basically, if you go into every single social situation, assuming that no one likes you, you automatically put yourself in an inauthentic place. You don't show up in the way that you need to, and your energy is off. So you can even do the right things and say the right things, but people can sense that energy. And they can even like you, but you'll miss that connection because you've already put up a wall of assumption that they don't like you. Second, small talk is great for a bit, but for real connection, you need to go deeper and ask more meaningful questions. And then here's the key, listen, like really listen to what they're saying and respond to what they say. This is a tricky one if you have ADHD because You ask a question and then people start talking and they might say something that triggers a thought and your brain chases it like a dog chasing a squirrel. Or you start thinking like, okay, I should respond to that. Oh, wait, they're not done yet. Okay. I should respond to that. And then you're like, they get done with their statement and you're like, oh no, what did I just do? So if you have ADHD, take a breath, just let people talk, make eye contact and listen. And you can even sometimes be like, hey, I want to go back to that thing you said, or just You know, maybe let that squirrel thought come out, but it shows that you were listening and paying attention. I just, I I feel you, I see you, I know how hard this one is. And sometimes they'll say something and then my brain chases it and then I respond to that and I realize it was totally the wrong thing to respond to and I said everything wrong and then I'm super embarrassed. It's gonna happen, it happens to all of us, it's okay. Just practice listening and responding to what they are saying. And if you expect them to go deep, you're gonna need to go deep too so like you can't expect people to share their biggest fears and then you're not going to share yours here's an example of some good questions that can just take the conversation past small talk maybe get a little bit deeper without getting like you know too deep what's something that's had a big impact on your life what's your favorite thing about yourself what's something you're proud of accomplishing what's a book TV, show, or movie that's had a big impact on you? What's your favorite band? This one could get tricky for people like me. What's a lesson that you've had to learn the hard way? And what makes you feel truly happy and fulfilled? I'm not suggesting that you walk up to perfect strangers and start asking these questions, but it's a good way to create deeper connections with people that start out as acquaintances and maybe you want it to become more than that. Back in December, my older brother started this thing with my family where we wrote down, we picked our top 20 favorite songs of all time, no repeat artists. This was really fun. I'd say there probably about half of us, maybe more than half of us wrote a little blurb about each song and why they were our favorite. And it was a really cool way for my family to connect. We live all over. Quite a few of them do live together near each other. But at this time, my brother was in Germany. I have a brother in Missouri. And I'm up here in Montana. And it was a really fun way for us to connect from a distance. And it was cool because it was around Christmas time. I had a niece and a nephew who did a write-up of their songs. And I learned so much about them. And I was so impressed with the way that they articulated and the songs that they liked. And super impressed because a lot of them were like, you know, my songs. I was like, hmm. Well done parents, you've taught them the right music. So just think of things like that. Ways to connect to your family on a deeper level, to friends on a deeper level. Number three is that kind and nice are very different things. Kindness says you matter to me. I want to care and serve you. Kindness is expressed through actions. Nice tends to lead a little bit more towards superficial words and gestures. It's more about being pleasing and agreeable. For example, a nice person might tell a person that they're sorry that they're sick, while a kind person will show up and serve. Kindness leads to real connection when nice only serves for more superficial friendships. Number four. Realize that you can make friends with people of all ages. I have a sister-in-law who's amazing at this. She will become friends with the old ladies, the super young kids, and like friends, friends. She's not just like, sure, you're 19 years old and I'll like, you know, patronize you and be like, oh, you're so cute and fun. She's like legitimately friends. I have admired her forever for this. Anyway, you can become friends with people of all ages. This one's usually hard for me because I've been pretty convinced that someone needs to be in my stage of life to get who I am. But then I see that there's so much to learn from people older than me. And you guys, we can learn a lot from the younger generation a fresh perspective and even learning what the kids are saying these days. So just keep that in mind. You can have friends from all walks of life, all ages and stages. Number five, I have found that the places where most people say they make friends are gyms, usually CrossFit gyms, actually, yoga studios, and church. If you haven't already tried these three places, it's a great place to start. However, if you have, like me, and you still feel lonely, then you're going to have to think outside the box and find other places. You may have to look at Facebook groups or check out Meetup or just show up places and look I know for shy people for introverts for people who deal with social anxiety like me this can feel impossible but if you can do it if you can find something if you love reading and you can find a book club to just show up to you'll feel better because you love to read so it's a place you know if you hate reading and you show up at book club you're not going to feel like you fit in But just try it. Try something like that. If you love music and singing, find a community choir. Try to find places, maybe a little outside of the box, to meet new people. And the last one is service. One of the best ways to meet people and connect to them and really, really love them is through service. We have the deepest love for those we serve and for those we serve with. Every faith tradition throughout time has talked about the importance of service. Every culture that focuses on service and kindness towards their fellow man is the most successful culture. So if you're in a funk, bake some banana bread and take it to someone who needs it. Find a place to give back and just serve in any way you know how. Every little bit helps. You can start at home. Just remember that all love starts with you. It's the broken record that keeps showing up in my healing journey. You have to show love to yourself so you can show love to others so they can love you back. Take some time to look at how you view yourself and see yourself with love and compassion and kindness. That's how you'll find love and compassion and kindness for others And how they'll find it for you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I need you to know that you are loved and you matter and you're not invisible. No matter who you are or where you are in your journey. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining me in the middle of my story. My theme music is White Linen by Asher Child. He's my kid. You can find all of his amazing music on all streaming platforms. And you know, it just wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't ask you to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. But seriously, it would really mean so much to me if you did. Thank you so much and see you next time.